Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Feeling lucky? Nemecolon's Lady Luck Casino is under new management and better than ever with 26 table games and an array of slot machines for you to test your luck. Try your luck at the table games, hit the slots for the day, or stay overnight to enjoy Nema Cullen's luxury accommodations, fine dining, and all that the casino has to offer in one breathtaking mountain location. Visit nemacolon.com for more information and to reserve your stay. Lady Luck is open to the public. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and I'm recording this podcast on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region. Sovereignty never ceded. On this episode, I chat with director Lucia Schmidt about her stunning documentary, Train to See, which is screening at the Castlemaine Documentary Film Festival. It will launch at the in-person screening on June 17th, with online sessions available to everyone in Australia afterwards uh, to rent. Train to See tells the story of three American women journalists, Martha Gellhorn, Lee Miller and Margaret Burke White, who each documented the Second World War in a fearless manner putting themselves on the front line to capture their stories. Throughout Train to See, we hear their stories from correspondents and journals that they kept during the period, and ultimately get to see the difficulties that they faced as the power of misogyny arose during the war. This is both a powerful and engaging film, and it is one of the finest archival documentaries of the year. As mentioned, Train to See is available to watch for Australian audiences via cdocff.com.au. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Alongside other great films, including the brilliant football-focused documentary Equal the Contest, directed by Mitch Navalis, and tells about their journey to push for equality in Aussie football. Other films available to watch online are Watanda My Countrymen, The Thief Collector, Into the Ice, Weed and Wine, and Young Plato. For more information about the festival and to read interviews with Mitch Navalis and festival director Claire Jager, visit thecurb.com.au. For now, here's the trailer to Train to See and followed by my discussion with Lucia Smith. This is going to be a nice long war. Sooner or later, they're going to want to make it popular. And then folks like us can work. The world is moving along at such an exciting pace that I want to be right there, photographing at every possible minute of the year. I was the only photographer for miles around, and I now owned a private war. It belongs to us, because I am involved in mankind. I'm never sure of what I'm going to do, or sometimes even aware of what I do. Only that I want that picture. It is such a really powerful, powerful film. So you've done a a stellar job of creating and and pulling together a very uh, emotional story, but also one that needs to be told about these great women who, uh, to be honest, um, I was not really aware of their their true stories, like uh, of their history. Same here. So with that in mind, how did you come to those stories then? Actually, it was uh, there was an exhibition in Berlin, um, and uh, along with that, and it was about I think it was with photographs. I haven't seen it myself, but uh, it was with uh, photographs by Lee and Margaret Burke White, and there was a text by an a historic a historian, a female historian professor, 
from Zurich. Her name is Eddie Bromfen, and she made a uh, an essay. She wrote an essay about, and she was the first one to put these three to women together. So Martha Gellhorn, Margaret Bork White, and Lee Miller, and just putting them in one piece and sort of comparing them. And then, and I'm Cologne based, but my producer and the two producers, Katarina and Uli, saw the exhibition and thought that would be a great topic. And then they addressed me if I wanted to make a movie. And then I read a first idea and I said, yes, I'd love to do it, but only not with experts and sons and, you know, interviews and people saying, um, oh, Lee was a very important uh, photographer at the time and you wouldn't believe, but she did work with Man Ray and was best friends with Picasso. So this I knew I really didn't want to do. Uh, and I said, I'd like to do it, but only with their own words, like if it really only quote their own. And then we started research. So let's go down that research path then, because there is some really powerful imagery here. And then we're talking about, uh, I think it's Margaret who had to search the at the Pentagon for lost pictures too. So I imagine getting the imagery and getting the writing must have taken quite a bit of time and a lot of uh, high-level places you must have visited as well. So what was that journey like? So we started working on the film uh, in 2017 and of course financing took ages. <laughs> so as it usually does, but okay, you get one fund but you don't get the other one so you go back to zero. So that was, um, but what I knew was I have worked with previous films uh, uh, on World War II issues, but just like it would be smaller parts of a film. And then I would go through this archive footage, which is in, in Germany, it's called NARA, it's the National Archives. So this is a uh, public domain. So basically that is affordable money and it's uh, affordable footage and it's just the footage we needed because it's only uh, the US, the perspective of US Air Forces. And usually when I would work with these pictures, I would think, oh, why do I always have to cut away when it starts to be interesting for me, you know? So you, you would always go for the for the three basic images you, you need. And I felt, and now I, I used to get lost in this kind of uh, archival footage. So that was the first thing I knew there was uh, there was footage and that was really good, good and it would be suitable for the pictures I would need. And so it was always the two sides. It was I would read, I would gather as many texts I could and I would start to read their texts. And then uh, at the same time, I had these pictures in mind. I knew they existed. And of course, there were the photographs. And there was the financing period. So it was all kind of a work in, it, it was all going sim simultaneously. And then COVID came. So we went to see, uh, well, first before COVID, we went to see uh, the Lee Miller estate and her son. And we went to see uh, the stepson of Martha Gellhorn. They're both based in Southern England. So that was okay for us. But uh, the whole footage or, or all of the, like her whole Erbe, what's it called again? The, uh, the, the whole archive of Margaret Burke White, she donated it after she died. She passed away to uh, Syracuse University. So all that was there. And the letters from Martha and a lot of uh, other stuff was in different U.S. archives. There was one in Boston. There was, of course, her her um, conversation with uh, Mrs. 
Roosevelt was in the Roosevelt Library. There were some in the Hemingwell Archive. So that became an issue once we had uh, the problem, well, once we faced um, COVID. So uh, all of the archives, including Onara Archive, were just shut. So that gave us more time in financing, really. <laughs> and so I started to just really work with what I had and I would prepare. Uh, I was going through like her bio. There were biograph, uh, biographies on all of the three women. So and they would work with quotes and then they'd have the index at the end of the book and they would say it's taken from that and that letter. So I would search all the texts with meaningful I sentences. So where you could feel it as an I, it's their own perspective. I feel like, or it felt to me like blah, 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 blah. So I was looking for all kinds of sentences or phrases or articles that had this strong I perspective. And then I would create interviews with each one of them. I would just put all these little pieces together and say, okay, I, I built my own interview. And once I had, and just in order to get their story straight, and then I would, uh, and then I would start to to write a script, like to combine the three stories, to interweave them on paper, since there was no material, there was no footage. And my editor, she said, and then we would listen, we would read the book or the the book, or we we, we and then I had friends of mine read it. So I, I, it wasn't only written, so we would have an idea of, um, and then we would edit this and then this would be like three hours. And my editor said, you only get to, to give me two hours. That's the utmost because just with the, given the time we had for uh, editing and given the time of the finances we had for editing, it was clear. And also just to keep it reasonable, it, it was such an insane amount of work just to keep this insane amount in a yet still reasonable volume. And so I, I, I shortened it down to two hours and then uh, it went to the editing room and we had a wonderful research archive uh, person um, in the US and she was really familiar with that narrow kind of, with that narrow footage. Uh, so even though the archive was closed, she knew in her head what was there. And she said, listen, there's so much footage. You just really need to get yourself together. You need to tell me what you need from what period. And this, of course, again, was helpful because then I would tell her I need spring 43 at the Leary Valley. So or at the well, the, the, the southern Italy uh, campaign. So that's it was really a great uh, co-work process. I mean, any film is just like only possible if you have a great team, but I think that's what everybody says. But also with this team, especially, uh, it, we just were really, uh, we were a good, good team and we worked together really, really well. It's a, it's a long, long experience of, of putting it all together and it shows on screen, not only like uh, the teamwork and everything like that, that you're you're working with the editor and all the archivists, but there is almost this conversation that you're having with the women themselves as if you are bringing their stories to a modern context and, and making us consider the work that they did and in a modern context as well. And I'm curious if you can talk about what it means to have 
these stories out there in the world today? Uh, is there a personal connection to those stories at all? Is there something that draws you to wanting to be able to bring them back to life now? The first thing was I, I wanted to, to feel contemporary. So, I mean, you always choose. That's what you basically do as a director. If you're looking for your for, for, for your story, you need to find what you're interested in. And I was, I was always looking and I said also when we, in the editing process, when we had to still narrow it down, um, we would, uh, I would say, it, it, whatever feels contemporary, I want to take that in. So I think like her comments on, on like Martha's comments on nationalism and patriotism, there's so much up to date. Or if you have Margaret Brookwood talking about how she feels, um, uh, after she spoke to Hildegard Roselius and, and this is just talking about fake information uh, and misinformation nowadays. You just put, you can put it on any conflict or on any government that chooses to not inform its uh, people. So um, that was a crucial issue. And then for me, I'm Swiss, but I live in Germany. So um, I guess that makes a difference. I'm not saying that the Swiss were involved in World War II. But um, to me, World War II is always present. Um, and my children are German, so and my husband is German. So I have <laughs> lots of love. <laughs> so it's not a question about guilt or blame, but it is. it was about, I felt it's such, it still is such a heavy heritage. It's such a burden and it's still present. And at the same time, we have... Also in Germany, we have this right-wing uh, movement up, uh, like becoming more and more uh, like influential and stronger. The AFD, it's called Alternative for Germany. And in twenty, I think it was in 2017 or shortly after we started working on a film, that this one said, well, let's get over with that remembering World War II and the Holocaust and stop blaming ourselves. It's, it, it was a fly shit in history, so in the German history. So regarding all of the German history, it was just a fly shit. And I felt like, hang on, I'm not only me, it was a big debate in Germany. And also it's a bit the debate that the survivors of the Holocaust, they start like the last one would start would be dying soon because they're really old. So how to how to memorize what happened? And also, again, with my children uh, going to school in Germany, you know, I also for myself, but also from the school, they do they do learn about World War Two and the Holocaust and Shoah and everything. But I realized we have like a, set, a certain set of images that allows us to deal with the Holocaust and the terror of it and the dimension of it. Like one of them is even the the, the pictures like Margaret Borg White created, like these iconic pictures of the, the in Buchenwald of the inmates of Buchenwald behind barbed wire within their striped um, uh, dresses or, or pajamas or what, 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 what one should call them. And I felt, okay, this is like, we have this, it's like a canon of pictures. And this allows us to digest sort of, to, to deal with the dimension. And I felt maybe it's time to go back to really get into what it was like. I mean, what, what, what the, the real, you know, to not allow us to go look at Holocaust with that certain set of, let's say, 10 pictures that we learn and that we have in mind. And also with, you know, with that, whenever and I, I've, I've seen the, the movie because we had a nice 
festival. Uh, we, we did well on festivals, so I did have the chance to, you know, you go there, you make the Q&A, and then usually I would come back at the last part of the film. So it's always the the, the, the pictures from the from Dachau and Buchenwald, so the concentration camps in Leipzig. And each time I feel like, oh my God, this is just too much. But then again, I was we were really discussing this issue. How much is too much? How much is it too much? Is it too little? Is it is it just right? Is, I mean, it's a discussion. But I felt if you decide to really, really, like I did, I really wanted to have the personal, the subjective perspective of the women. And then if you then you have to go and I wanted to go the journey all the way to what I call the darkest heart of Germany in World War Two. And this was the concentration camps. And this is what like it was for them, you know, they would race along as Margaret says, they would race along the front, it would be very quickly, it would be stressful, it would be exciting, it would be celebrating and it will be yet another day, another camp, they would have to, you know, they had they they shared apartment at one point in Cologne, but then they would. So it was just a crazy, crazy time. And in the middle of this crazy time, they would end up in Buchenwald and be confronted with the with the dimension of Buchenwald. And then they would go on and it would be another place. It would be Torgau, it would be this and then yet another concentration camp. So I felt I had to go with them on their journey and to make it as subjective as possible, like how they survived it. This is also why I decided to put um, Leipzig uh, Mokau in it, because as Margaret says, this is when it hit her. She would take picture on a professional level on, in Buchenwald, but then she went to that other small, it, it wasn't a concentration camp, it was a, a labor camp. And also these labor camps, it's something you don't really you, you you think of the the concentration camps of the, the the mass destruction camps, but there were many many labor camps with with terrible conditions. So and and just just as awful or in another way as awful as the concentration camp. And also the picture from Lee Miller. You know, if you think like this very iconic picture of her in Hitler's bathtub. I mean, this is the one Lee Miller picture everybody knows, if they know Lee Miller. But then I felt you can't show this picture without really pointing out that she's literally washing up the dust of of Dachau in his bathtub. So you really need to go there in order to get a sense of what Dachau really was like. And it's, I mean, it's painful. When I visited Germany, uh, this is a long time ago, but I went to, I visited Dachau and having those those photos as well, it, it just took me back to the place and getting to experience um, the way that trauma and tragedy resonates through time. It, it's quite a painful thing. Uh, and, and that's why I'm grateful that you do have those those images in there because of the fact that, you know, in Australia at least, uh, it was only a few weeks ago that in Melbourne they had Nazis on the steps of Parliament House, you know, and there, we need to be reminded of the lineage of, of where this originated from, and, and your film in some capacity does that too. Um, but I want to kind of pivot to, as much as I can, to a lighter thing, which is uh, talking about, uh, I think it's Lee Miller who is doing the the sequence where, or no, it's Margaret, I think, possibly, where they're uh, talking about capturing the different angles of the different machinations of war and talking about, you know, I need to capture the, the photos of, 
you know, the, the battle of loading the, the bullet, oh, okay. uh, firing the bullet and all this kind of stuff. And in, in some capacity, she is actually becoming yeah. a, a leader in herself in saying, yeah. you know, load, ready, fire. I uh, love that. There's a real bit, joy yeah. in that sequence. <laughs> and I wonder if you can talk about discovering that and what it means to be able to present that on screen and also directing the voice actor to what kind of directions you possibly gave them to to give that energy there as well i can i can relate to some extent to these women they really wanted to do they really wanted to go to war and i mean war reporting has a fascination in itself because it's there where action is where history is happening i could and i think even when i started i felt like there was some odd this was way before ukraine war but and i'm not saying i was (laughs) I, i i sensed it ahead but I, I would sometimes I wonder and I was thinking it's like there is a new kind of fascination for war uprising. It's like we, we forgetting how terrible it was. And and also, you know, we like the news, you look at war, what you get to see is the war pictures, the, 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 the uglier, the better. Not, not the uglier, the better, but it has to be action or oh, war films. It captures attention and there's some fascinating aspect to it knowing that it's a dark, dark, dark thing. And I felt that was interesting to show their way, really, how they were. I mean, Margaret Burke White, she was really patriotic. They all had a very different attitude towards war and how they wanted to get into it. And Margaret Burke White, she was a real technic freak, tech freak, as we would say here. I mean, when she started photographing, she was the first one and she studied so hard until she got it right to make industrial pictures of the process of melting steel and this was in her early 20s so when she she taught herself and she was such a tech freak she was really good at all the technic aspects of uh of photographing and as she says in the film at the very big if she wants a picture she does everything to get it and i thought that was a really great aspect and when i read her report on how she loved it. And this story in, in the real, in her real report, it goes on and on and on. And finally the general came along and he was like, and everybody came, you know, watching how she did it. And I think this is just also a part of the truth. They loved their job and they really wanted to go there and they loved to be uh, among the soldiers and at the front line. And, and she wanted to do her best because she was very good at what she was doing. And she always wanted to deliver the best she had. And by the way, she wasn't particularly well liked among her male colleagues, of course, because she was so driven because she really knew how to get what she wanted. And so she wasn't the best liked comrade amongst her fellow uh, life photographers. But um, I like that aspect because she and also especially because I feel that each of these women, they have their own journey towards war and they have their own motivation why they want to go to war and why they want to be frontline or war reporters. And once they get in touch with war, they realize in a very painful way, you never go to war without being, without leaving it injured. It's it not necessarily physically, but psychologically. They all had uh, big, big, big issues after it. I understand that for some of them, there was that, that reluctance to actually talk about it afterwards. And there was a re- this reluctance to explore what they went through and what they witnessed as well with their families. Uh, you know, there's 
obviously I won't get too much into it for people who haven't seen the film, but there are some people who, you know, hid what they went through from their families for so long. And what I appreciate so much about your film is that it encourages us to recognize the hard work that they went through, but also to witness that, you know, the, the trauma and the tragedy that they also went through as well, because it is such a hard thing to go through. Um, which again leads me back to the the voice actors that you've got. I'm curious about what kind of direction that you gave them to inhibit these these women so uh, vividly and so powerfully. Well, I I guess they were good. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just wanted they 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 realized it was not a documentary in the sense of a documentary. You have this over voice going oh do do this is happening do do do. But I wanted them, and that's what I asked them, I wanted them to speak it as if it was their own thoughts, as if they were living it at the time. So I really wanted this acting um, art to be shown in the film, not overdoing it. I think that was the process of finding out not overdoing it, but still really feeling that they are incorporating this very character, so be it Martha, Margaret or Lee, so that each of them would be this person and would try to feel as they if they were going through the moment right now. Just, I mean, I guess that's, I'm a documentary maker, so I'm not so familiar with the uh, actors, but I guess that's what is act, what acting is all about. So, uh. As we lead into wrapping up, and I've really appreciated having the time to be able to talk with you about the film, uh, of course, it's going to be screening at the Castlemaine Documentary Festival, and I'm curious what that means to be able to have uh, this story and your film screening in Australia, what, is that something that excites you or being able to reach an audience like this in Australia? Absolutely, because when I, you know, if you grow up in, in Europe, you learn about Second World War and you know all about it. You feel you know all about it. But when I got back into this, I realized, oh, my God, there were also soldiers from Australia fighting to liberate um, Europe and fighting to liberate um, Germany. And this is such an this is such an incredible cost the world paid, like the, the allied world paid to free um, Europe. And I think this is, this really hit me. Like also when she said like the Canadian, we showed it at the Hot Dogs Toronto Festival and Canada is not quite as far away, but still very far away. And this moment when Margaret, uh, no, Martha says the Canadians broke the Gothic line, it felt like as if I felt like, oh, right, these are the Canadians. We are in Canada. And it's the same with Australia. There are there were so many Australian soldiers fighting either in Europe or then also in the Pacific, but also in Europe. And I feel it's very important to remember uh, at what tremendous cost. Uh, Europe was freed and democracy was um, reinstalled in Germany. And I, I don't know if gratefulness is the, is the right um, perspective nowadays and 75 years later, not having lived through it and everything, but still there is a sense of being grateful or, or, or respect for that, that, that united force or like that united commitment to do this and I just haven't I have even though I felt I was well informed about World War II I was shocked by realizing also the Italian war you know the campaign 
how terrible it was. I mean, as you're saying, 75 years, it's, it's a long time, but it's still so present. It's still so present in our lives. And we, you know, the, not a week goes by where we are still discovering stories that took place during that time. And that's what, to me, at least trained to see is for a lot of people, it's a discovery of the stories that these women are telling. And I'm so grateful that you've brought it uh, into existence and, and brought their stories to life because I feel richer and, and better for having learned about their stories. And I know I spent, after I watched it, I spent ages looking at different photos and just sitting with them and looking at, mm. you know, the, the moments it has been captured. Uh, they're so vivid and real and the, the photography is so brilliant and knowing that it was done under such extreme moments uh, mm. is, is really powerful and brilliant. So I'm grateful that you've brought this to life and I'm grateful that we're getting to experience this story in Australia now. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me and the film, of course. Yeah. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.